This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. watching online right now. Great to have you with us. And we're about to do something really special here. We're about to uh, plant some new family members into this house. So those of you in the back, would you go ahead and start making your way up? And yeah, church, let's give them a hand as they come up. It really is such an honor to see what God is doing in the lives of these people and the commitment that they're making to this house. We are a better church today because these people have said we are in. We, we connect with the vision. We believe in what God's doing here and we want to be a part of it. And so church, this is the newest members of our church family. And we're excited to have them with us. And what they're doing, for those of you who are new, uh, they've gone through this process we have here called Next Steps, which is some online videos that you can watch. It helps you to better, have a better understanding of what, what we're doing here, where we're going as a church, what this house is all about. And from that, they're saying, we're in. We wanna be a part of that. And they're committing to that, which is just swims against the grain of, of the culture of the world we live in today. So many people don't wanna commit to anything they kind of want to jump around, do whatever, whatever feels good. Want to get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but this is, this is different. We're saying, God, we're in, we're committed. We're, we're going to be a part of this. We're going to work through things when things need to be worked through. Amen. And we're committed to what God is doing. And so we're excited to have them here with us this morning and to be doing what we're doing today. Sarah, you want to add anything to this? No, I'm so excited. This is a great looking group of new members. Very excited. And uh, this is such a holy moment. Like yeah. this isn't just a flippant thing. Um, we were just talking about this in the, the planted class that whenever you become a member of the, this church, we pray that it's not something that you do lightly, but that you like bathe this decision in lots of prayer and that um, there's something too, like this is like a vow of stability, like this is going to be our home church. And so we're very excited and we just want to pray over these guys. So if you would reach out your hands, stretch out your hands to them. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead oh, first Oh yeah, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to lead. First of all, put your hands down. Put your hands down. <laughs> we'll get to that. I'm going to lead in, a, in, in some declarations yes. of commitment. That I'm going to I'm going to read a statement, and they're going to either respond by saying "I will," "I have," or "I do." And as as they go through this, for those of you who have been planted, for those of you who are who are a part of this church, I just want to remind you: this is what we we all agree with. This is what we're saying right now as a church. So, have you made an authentic profession of faith in Jesus Christ? If so, say "I have." Will you commit to engage in personal worship, obey the teachings of scripture, and regularly fellowship with followers of Jesus? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to protecting the peace and purity of the church by acting in love, promoting unity, refusing to gossip, and pursuing biblical reconciliation? If so, say, I will. Will you support the worship and practices of the church by attempting to faithfully pray for and attend weekend services, partake in communion, and move towards the practice of generosity through regular giving? If so, say, I will. Will you commit to serving in and reinforcing the mission of the church by using your spiritual gifts to serve the church and community? If so, say, I will. Have you read and understand New Song's statement of beliefs and agree to joyfully support the leadership, vision, mission, and values of New Song Church? If so, say, I have. Do you understand that the above commitments can't be maintained without relying on the Holy Spirit to work in your life and without certain commitments on your part? If so, say, I do. New Song Church, would you help me welcome the newest members? 
and now you can extend your hand towards them. That's right. Sarah leads us in a prayer. Lord, we just thank you that your spirit would inhabit this home, this church home. Make this a sanctuary where hearts and lives are knit together, where bonds of love are strengthened and where mercy is learned and practiced. May this their new church home, may this be a harbor of anchorage and refuge and a haven from which they journey forth to do your work in your world. May this be a garden of nourishment in which their roots go deep that they may bear fruit for the nourishing of others. May this new church home be a place of knowing and of being known, a place of shared tears and laughter, a place where forgiveness is easily asked and granted and wounds are quickly healed, a place of meaningful conversation, of words not left unsaid, a place of joining, of becoming, of creating and reflecting, a place where their diverse gifts are named and appreciated. I pray pray that this would be a place where we learn to serve one another and to serve our neighbors well. May this be a place where our stories are forever twined by true affections. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you give them another hand as they exit? I think you're going back that way. And if you would, go ahead, grab your notes, get your Being Transformed journals out. You can follow along with the app today as Pastor David continues our series on how to pray. church in America to begin to inquire of the great intercessor, teach us to pray. It came back on. I'm a professional. I can fix it. I fixed it. It's fine. We don't need you. (laughs) Actually, I do. These batteries are dead. Yep. Casey put some dead batteries in this so that he could get up on stage today. <laughs> it is top. Here we go. We're rocking today. <laughs> it is time. <laughs> Corey Russell just behind me, letting us know. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Good, I hope. Yes, it's been a good weekend so far. Um, my family and I were down in Houston the past couple weeks. We missed you guys. Hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Allow me uh, to be one of the first people to let you know it's officially December. You can officially listen to Christmas music. Um, some of you heathens have been listening to Christmas music for weeks at this point, and I, all I have for you is that God sees you. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. It's not Santa, it's Jesus. Uh, I kind of have a love-hate relationship when it comes to Christmas music because growing up all the way through college, I was in choir and band and orchestra. I was one of those nerds. And uh, we would get a folder on the first day of school with all of our Christmas music. So I kind of feel, I can feel sometimes like I've been singing Christmas music more than I've sang any other genre of music. And so I got a little flinch in me when it comes to Carol the Bells. Um, like walking into Hobby Lobby right now, it's difficult. There's some trauma I'm working through. Uh, but if you've got freedom, like pray for me. If you've got freedom in that area, I just want to let you know as your worship pastor, it is no longer a sin to listen to Christmas music. Like God supports it. Um, and I, I'm excited to be continuing our series on, on prayer this week. Um, this, is, this has been an area of, of real growth in our church over the past few years. And it's been an, an area of, of real growth in, in my own personal life as well. Growing up, I always struggled with prayer. Like I always struggled to really grasp 
really the purpose of it. Um, I, I kind of felt like, um, just because of, of some of the things I'd heard and some of the things I'd seen, I kind of felt like, well, since God is all-powerful, and since God is all-knowing, and since God knows best and He's sovereign, I kind of failed to see the point of why He needed me to pray. Like, prayer was a part of my life. Like, it was an exercise of thankfulness, for sure. Like, an, an, an exercise and a discipline of gratitude. It was an expression of worship. Um, it was something that we did before things, like before meals. Um, anytime I needed prayer, anytime I needed direction or um, advice or wisdom or help, which was usually like before a test that I didn't study enough for, like I became a person of prayer in those moments. Um, but I, I failed to take any real steps towards a deep prayer life. And when I, uh, when Kaylee and I moved to Dallas to to go to college. Um, the Lord led us to this really sweet and special church um, that, that was this kind of perfect blend of like spirit-filled, um, presence-driven atmosphere and, and, and solid Bible teaching. And it was here in this season of life where, where I got introduced to the Holy Spirit, where I, got, I learned how to hear the voice of God, and, and I witnessed my first miracles. I learned in this season that the Word of God contains promises, and that if we'll look at these promises and stand on them, we can use them to actually point our prayers. We can use them to, as a basis of faith to stand upon and be able to, through that, through our partnership with heaven, I learned that we can, we can pray the will of God into our lives. But if I'm honest, my prayer life never matured past the point of essentially a, a, a note on my phone with a list of prayer needs with like Bible verses next to them. Like I didn't really understand. I'd read verses like pray without ceasing. And if I'm honest, I felt like that kind of sounded boring to me. Like, what are you doing praying without ceasing? Like these people that would go to prayer rooms and pray for hours at a time, like I didn't get it because I felt like, okay, you said your prayer, now it's kind of in God's hand. Like, what? So I, I always desired to have a rich prayer life um, and a deep prayer life, but I always struggled with it. I knew that there was more to prayer that I was missing. I just didn't have all the pieces. And then a couple of years ago, um, as a staff, we read through this book called Teach Us to Pray by Corey Russell. And he's going to be coming to our Blocks Conference in January. It's going to be awesome. And it was in this season that, that there was a real turning point for me concerning prayer. Um, I really started to kind of burn for this stuff. I really started to kind of grasp that maybe prayer wasn't just something to do so that I could get stuff done, but that prayer might be actually the starting place that God invites us to come to for the rest of our life to flow out of. So I know a lot of you guys have been on this, this prayer journey with us, um, and, and I love this series that we've been into. Like, you can't oversimplify prayer. Like, prayer is supposed to be this simple expression in our life, this, this thing that's as natural as breathing. So we can get to the place as Paul says, where we can pray, <clears throat> we can pray without ceasing. I love how Pastor Josh closed out the, the, the message last week where he, he brought us back to this place that he unpacked in week one, this revelation that the God of the universe really is our Father. And that the invitation of prayer is to come before our Father and to simply come before him and to ask. He asks us to come uh, with, with little prayers and big prayers alike. So we can have faith that he hears us. That's why we say things here like, if it matters to you, it matters to God. And, and that there's no such thing as big prayers and little prayers with God. Like, they're all little prayers. And if that's true, what I want to talk about today is this. If that's true, if prayer really works, and if God really is a loving Father who cares for us and only wants good things, then why do some of our prayers go unanswered? 
if God really is a loving father who, who, who loves us and has a good plan for us and a plan to prosper us and not to harm us, if that's really true, then why do so many of my friends who love God and are doing all the right things, why do they struggle with infertility and miscarriage? If, if God is the great physician, then why do we deal with things like cancer still? Like what? If prayer really works, then why, in spite of groups of people praying, have I seen some marriages end in divorce? If you've prayed for more than five minutes, then you've probably had to wrestle with this topic of unanswered prayer. As a pastor at a praying church, I've seen firsthand the, the accounts of, of miracles taking place. I've witnessed them through, through the, the laying on of my own hands. I've seen people healed. I've seen, I've seen miracles take place. I've seen chains fall off, but yet still, if I'm honest, there are times when I go to pray and I have to deal with the phantom whispers of doubt from yesterday's unanswered prayers. It's a struggle that we're all going to have to wrestle through. Sometimes we can feel like maybe God's left us on red, but we continue to pray. Why? Because this is what it means to follow Jesus. We see in the New Testament that, that what it means to follow Jesus, if nothing else, it means to be a people of prayer. I love how Pastor Lee from Radiant Church says it. He says that the book of Acts is essentially like what takes place between prayer meetings. If we're going to follow the model of the church that the New Testament displays for us to live the life that Jesus has called us to pray. One of the things that Jesus did more than anything else is that he Prayed. And if we want to step past this surface level of prayer and into a season of authentic and deep devotion to God in prayer, then we're going to have to wrestle with this topic of unanswered prayer. And so today, as I preach this message, I want to be cognizant of the fact that I know this is a really raw area for some of you. I know this is an area that's very emotionally sensitive. Um, the, the truth is, is that most of the people in this room have either currently or at some point in their life gone through a season of loss or questioning or doubt. And my encouragement to us is this, I want to come, I want to come and approach this, this word today from this posture of the Lord is near. That in every season of life, Jesus, the great intercessor, has walked with us. And so full disclosure, I want to be up front. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't know anybody that's got this whole prayer thing figured out. I don't know anybody that's batting a thousand when it comes to prayer. Um, all of us at some point are gonna have to struggle through this thing of, of seasons where it doesn't look like we thought that it would or we think that it should. But I believe that as we, as we tackle some of these questions and we tackle some of these doubts that, that God will teach us the deeply intimate wrestle with him that leads to a much richer and more mature expression of prayer in Jesus. So if you would stand to your feet, if you're able this morning, I want to read us a passage of scripture. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You can sit. Um, let's pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us that deeply intimate wrestle with you, Lord. We just take a moment to be real before you and to be open and honest. And Lord, each of us in our own way, we come before you today and say, we don't have it all figured out, but we want to see you. We want to see your love. I thank you, Lord, that there's a, there's a throne here today. 
and that your word invites us to come boldly before it. And so, Lord, thank you that as we do, we find grace and we find mercy to help in time of need. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. I wanted to read that, that passage of scripture for you because if you're ever going through a difficult season or, or going through a season of questioning or doubt, like this is the verse to hold to. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Like I love that imagery. It's the imagery of like a sailor holding onto a rope in the midst of storms, that, that in the midst of difficult circumstances, we have an ability to look up and see Jesus and be reminded and convinced again of his un, unimaginable love for us. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin sin. Jesus knows what it means to be human. He knows what it means to walk in the limitations of a, of, of a brain and, and a body. He, it, we're not surprising God when we expose our weaknesses to him. Jesus underwent every trial and every test that, that we could ever face so that we could look to him and have hope. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, not timidly, not wondering, not, not with doubt, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Prayer is to be our first instinct and our last resort when in need. The throne of grace is available to us and the call is to boldly pray. So this is the confession that we hold to when things don't look like we thought that they would, when it seems like God has ignored our prayers or has ignored us or left us out to dry. These are the seasons, this is the confession that we hold to when we're dealing with unanswered prayer. Because this is the first instinct whenever we, we uh, deal with unanswered prayer. Whenever things don't look like we thought that they would or we, th or we think that they should, our first instinct as human beings, just to, just to kind of wrap our minds around it and to understand, our first instinct is to try to assign fault and blame. So we begin to blame. The, the, the first people that we blame is we blame others. So you go to pray for somebody and, and you go to pray for them to be healed. And we see in the word that, that healing takes place. Many of us in this room have witnessed the miraculous healing of God. We know that God's desire is for healing. And so we go to pray for them. And when it doesn't take place, not in a harsh way, we're just trying to make sense of the situation. We can go, well, maybe they didn't have enough faith. We see in the Bible that faith plays a factor in our prayers being answered, that Jesus was limited in some of the miracles that he could do because of the lack of faith around them. Or, or, or not in a harsh way, but you know, maybe you're walking with a friend through a difficult season of life and, and you know, the, the AC's breaking down, the kid, all the kids are getting sick, like the water breaks and like you're praying for them and it seems like there's no relief and you're like, just to make sense of you, like maybe there's sin in the camp. You know, like, I don't know. Like we're, and it's not from a place of judgment, but it's just, we don't understand why it's not working. And so our first instinct is, to go, well, maybe it's their fault. And if we don't blame others, then the second person we blame is we blame God. When, when God doesn't do what we thought that he would or we think that he should, here's what we do. We begin to wonder if his intentions match ours for our life. And what can happen is we can begin to let a coldness settle in between us and our Father in heaven, and we begin to stop relating to him through the warmth of intimacy and the warmth of communion, and we settle for this cold rigidness of religion. And what will happen is, is we don't like rebel against God, but what we'll do is go, okay, God, I'm just gonna control the things that I know to control. I'm gonna do the right things. I'm gonna do them the right way because I want him to bless. I don't want God to get in my way but I'm gonna stop going to him for the things that I need because it's just easier to settle into a surface level prayer life than it is to deal with the potential disappointment of unanswered prayer. We blame God. 
The third people we blame, though, and this is where a lot of us get stuck, is that we blame ourselves. I don't know if you can relate to this, but, but we go to pray, and it seems like nothing's happening. And so you've heard prayer works for other people, and so you're like, okay, maybe I'm just not doing it right. So we begin to, like, try to tweak the formula. Like, maybe God likes King James, you know? So we start throwing some these and some thous in there, and, and we lift our hands, and we, and we start to pray a little deeper. And, and you know, and, 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 then, and then we go, maybe I need to find another verse to stand on. And so we've got all these verses. We've got all these note cards planning around. We go, this person's prayers get answered a lot, so I'm going to have them pray for me at altar ministry. And then maybe if I can just get the formula just right, then maybe I'll get my breakthrough. Then maybe I'll get to see, I'll get to see God do the thing that I want him to do. And, and when that doesn't happen, what we begin to do is we begin to go, maybe just prayer doesn't work for me. Like maybe... Maybe I'm just not one of those special praying people. And we settle into this life where we doubt what the word of God says about the authority that we have in him. And we begin to become a wounded lamb limping through life, hoping for the eventual glory of heaven, for the sweet relief of death when we can walk into heaven and just take in the blows of life. And if you think about it, this is exactly what happened in the garden in the fall. In Genesis 3.12, when Adam and Eve are caught in their sin, this is how Adam responds to God. He says this, Genesis 3:12, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And it's funny, just depending on, on how you emphasize which word in here, it could change the meaning. So, so I, I wonder if Adam said it like this, the woman whom you gave to me, the woman whom you gave to me, pointing the finger at Eve, like, this is Eve's fault. This is not my fault. She's the one that picked the tree. She's the one that listened to the serpent, assigning blame towards Eve. Or maybe he said it like this, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Like, God, didn't you know what was gonna happen? Like, you put the tree in the garden. Have you ever thought about that? You ever wrestled with that? Like, God put the tree in the garden. So, God, this isn't my fault. Like, you just made me a man. This is your fault because you know what was gonna happen and you place us in a situation where, where the outcome wasn't gonna be what I thought it should be. Or maybe he said it like this, and, and I thought this was funny. I shared it with my wife this week, and she's like, that's not funny. But I'm telling you this so I can get your sympathy laughs whenever it happens. But, but maybe, and it's just how my brain works, maybe he said, the woman whom you gave to me, like, God, you just made me a man, and you gave me this pretty wife, and you didn't even put on any clothes on her. You know, and when she came walking through the garden, batting her eyes at me, like I was just hypnotized. Like I, next thing I know, I was eating of the fruit, like I was powerless to resist her. And I don't know, maybe I think this, I don't know how your marriage works, but like <laughs> for the most part, we do what Kaylee wants to do. I mean, I got opinions on stuff, but I just find I'm happier if she's happy, you know? So I've watched a lot of Great British Baking Show. I've watched every season. I'm up to date. We watched the season finale this week. Like, like uh, for instance, like this is the time of year that I look around and, and I see a lot of beautiful beards out there. I see a lot of beautiful beards. I think of Logan in the back. He's got this, this full man that seems man. And I thought, you know what? This is the year. This is my time. I'm almost 30. Maybe I can do it. Maybe I can pull it off. And so I went to go grow my beard out all throughout the month of November and, uh, Here's what I found is that Kaylee hates beards. <laughs> she, doesn't, she doesn't hate your beard, she hated my beard. And so I stand before you today baby-faced. <laughs> but my, my point is this, is that the first obstacle that we're gonna have to tackle when dealing with unanswered prayer is to resist the temptation to assign blame. And it's really easy to see why this is our first instinct because as humans, we like stuff that we can understand. 
Like we like simple stuff. Like the, 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 mo- the, the, the most successful movies in the box office aren't like the ambiguous up to interpretation like indie films, right? Like, no, they're the Marvel movies. Like who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy? I wanna know exactly who the bad, what the bad guy stands for and exactly what the good guy stands for. And the good and the bad guy, they're gonna fight. It's gonna look like the bad guy's gonna win. And then the third act of the film, the hero's gonna come out of nowhere and save the day, right? Like we like simple stuff. We've grown accustomed to quick, efficient, and to the point service. There's a gas station on every corner. Uh, there's unlimited drive through coffee and food options. There's any information we need directly at our fingertips. There's grocery delivery services, movies and shows on demand. Like, hear me, what a time to be alive. Like, we don't got to go to the grocery store anymore. Like, somebody brings the groceries to my front door, puts them on the porch. Like, it's a great time to be alive. But it comes with some drawbacks because here's the reality is that we simply have not been trained in the discipline of patiently wrestling with the deep questions of heaven. Simply put, it's just easier to put up our hands and say, I don't get it. It's easier just to settle into it's their fault, it's his fault, it's my fault, and to go, I just don't understand God. But the truth is, is that God can be known. And he desires for us to know his will. He desires for us to know him. He, 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 he desires for us to be able to understand how he works and what his ways are. So if it's true that God loves us and it's true that prayer works, and if it's true that, that faith, that we can partner our faith with God to see prayer change our lives, then why do some of our prayers go unanswered? Okay, so, so there's three main reasons why our prayers go unanswered. The, the God's world, God's war, and God's will. So the first one is this, if you're taking notes, God's world. And this is, a, this is an easy one. So God has, in his wisdom, intricately designed creation to work for the best most of the time for most people. So chemistry, physics, gravity, nature, he's put these things in place. So take, for instance, your average high school football game, okay? Friday night, the home team is gathered in the locker room. The coach is going to give a big inspirational speech. They're going to say, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. They're going to gather together, and then they're going to pray, and they're going to pray something like this, God, help us to have fun, but help us to win. Help us to win, God, because not for our glory, but for your glory. (laughs) For your glory, God, if we win this game, this 5A high school football game, you're going to get the glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And then here's the problem, is that the visiting team is in the away locker room praying the same exact thing. So who's God supposed to answer? And, and honestly, what kind of God would he be if he constantly intervened in a million different local sporting events just because of who was praying the loudest or praying the most, right? Uh, here's the reality, is that if a quarterback throws a football, just the right way, at just the right speed, at just the right angle, and puts it in just the right place where the receiver can get it out of the reach of the cornerback, and he's fast enough to be able to run past the safety and get in the end zone. He's going to score, and if he doesn't, he's not. Let me give you an example of this. One of the godliest men I know is Pastor Ken, one of our elders, and one of our pastors on staff, and one of the strongest prayer, he's married to one of the strongest prayer warriors I've ever met, Pastor Trudy, and they are diehard Cowboys fans. Do you know when the last time the Cowboys won a Super Bowl was? It was 19. And you notice I used Pastor Ken as my example, not Pastor Josh and Sarah, because I'm submitted here. But here's the truth is that God in his infinite wisdom has established governing principles that work for most people most of the time. Even fallen, 
The truth is this, even fallen, creation contains far more beauty and good than it does ugliness. And God just isn't going to tinker with every single one of those rules every time that we pray. The reality is, is that God is cool with whoever wins the Super Bowl. He's, he's not bothered if you hit every red light on the way to work when you're running behind. <laughs> Well, one of, the, one of the benefits, presumably, of being God is that you could do all those things. Like, you could micromanage every playoff game, see to every red light, all the while holding the cosmos in order, keeping nu- nuclear apocalypse at bay, and being present with us in our being transformed journals every morning. But I love how Pete Gregg says it. He says this, if every bride had a sunny wedding day, then every farmer would be praying in vain for rain. Mm, isn't that a good quote? If every bride had a sunny wedding day, then every farmer would be praying in vain for rain. Think of science as an explanation of the ways that God most often chooses to work, and miracles are simply examples of when God chooses to go off book. When Jesus turns water into wine, he's defying the law of chemistry. When Jesus walks on water, he's defying the law of gravity. When Jonah gets swallowed by the giant fish and then spit out onto the shore, he defies the law of nature. Jesus calms the storm, he's messing with the weather. I'm not saying that God never will, but he often won't mess with the balance of creation. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, that God does on occasion modify the behavior of matter and produce what we call miracles is a part of the Christian faith. He adds, however, that the very concept of a common and therefore stable world demands that these occasions should be extremely rare. Like I think of the movie Bruce Almighty. Like things go chaotically because Bruce gets gets given the ability to answer every prayer and so he just replies all yes. And it's a chaotic world. So, so here's what I'm saying. Pray for the miracle. Like you come out, you're on your way to work and, you're, and your car uh, it doesn't start. Lay hands on that puppy. Like I have seen, I have seen that I drove a car for a while that I laid hands on when that AC wasn't working. In the summer, I laid hands on it and guess what? It would come back on. Like I've seen ceiling fans come back on. I've seen AC units come back on. Like pray for the miracle of a resurrected car. Like I'm not saying not to, but, but, but. In the effort of praying for the miraculous, don't miss out on the more mundane, unromantic way that God might have provided for you with money in your bank account and a car mechanic that you can trust. You get what I'm saying? So God's world. Number two, God's war. God's war. The second reason the prayers go unanswered is because there is an active enemy in our world whose sole effort it is to attack and prevent the work of God. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is why Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, because both his kingdom and his will, neither of them are our current reality or an eventual inevitability. The reality is, is that we are going to have to stand in faith for things because there is an enemy that opposes the work of God. So let me, let me say something, and I want to be really careful how I say it, but God's will doesn't always get accomplished on the earth. God doesn't always get what he wants. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, God is all-knowing. But the way that he has set things up, God doesn't always get what he wants on the earth. Now, before you start throwing chairs at me, like, let, let me ask you this question. Do you always perfectly enact the will of God in your life? Do you always do exactly what God wants you to do, exactly when God wants you to do it, exactly how God wants you to do it? No, we we all miss it from time to time. And in those instances, God's will does not become realized in the earth. In fact, when we go against the will of God, 
when we go against what God has commanded, when we go against the way that he has set things up, there's actually consequences. There's negative, negative consequences to, the, to, the, to, what, to us whenever we sin, not just us, but to the people around us. And this perfectly illustrates the tension in the war between the light and the dark. I want you to think about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, so that verse communicates that God so loves who? He loves the world. He loves the world. It, 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 it gives us a glimpse into the heart of the Father that none would perish. Like Jesus is not a exclusive invite only deal. Like Jesus was given for the world. It's given for the world, but not everyone is going to, to, to receive him and, and, and walk in his life. Here's why. It's because God's will is accomplished when his intervention, with the intervention of God, which is Jesus, meets with our willingness to surrender, which is our free will or choice to choose to surrender our will to him. So the strategy of the enemy then is to infiltrate the hearts of men to then do evil and to rebel against the kingdom and the works of God. So when bad stuff happens, like when, when a child is trafficked, when wars break out, when somebody gets hit by a drunk driver, this is not the will of God. This is not the will of God. This is the manifestation of the visible effect that the hand of darkness has on our world. John 16, 33, Jesus promises us this. In the world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. It reminds me of this, the, this meme that's going around where like it has this person, they're like weeping and crying. And then in the caption underneath it, it says, God, why do you give your hardest battles to your strongest warriors? He goes on, you know, and, and then it has God underneath saying, I don't, it's just a pile of laundry, fold it. <laughs> The fact is, is that most of the opposition that we face in life is not by the hand of God, but by the hand of the enemy or the consequence of just simply being a human being. Jesus has not promised that you won't have to face things. On the contrary, it's what it means to live this life in a fallen world. But take heart. He gives us a hope to overcome it. He gives us an aim that is higher. You can't overcome something that you don't have to face. So God's world, God's war, and then finally God's will. Some prayers go unanswered simply because they are opposed by the will of God himself. Remember, Jesus only promises to answer prayers that are aligned with his will and his purpose. So I want you to, to imagine this with me, picture this with me. They have found that there are over 100 billion galaxies in our universe. I don't know how they figured that out, but somebody smarter than me has found out that there are 100 billion galaxies in the universe. That's how many they know of. And each galaxy has over 100 billion stars. So 100 billion times 100 billion. Any math nerds know what that number is? It's a lot. It's 10 to the power of 24. That's how many stars. Does it stand to reason then that if there is a, if God created everything and if he holds everything in his hand, if he, if he has the ability and the capability and the understanding and the perspective to hold all of those things in order, does it stand to reason that there might be some times that he does some things that are beyond our understanding? Does it, does it stand to reason that there might be some times that he does some things that we don't agree with? And because of that fact, that he is that vast and powerful to manage, because it says that, it does, it says that he didn't just start creation, but it says that he sees to it because he says that he knows every star by name. So if he's that, if he's that complex, 
Isn't he more than capable of being trusted with the patterns and the purpose of our own little lives? The truth is, is that there are many questions and unanswered prayers that we may never have the reasons for on this side of heaven, but Jesus ultimately invites us to trust in his wisdom and his power and his love to care for us and to enact his ultimate plans and purpose in our lives. So my aim today is not to give you like a nice and neat soundproof answer as to why each and every one of our prayers haven't been answered. Uh, my, my hope today is instead to give us an ability and a posture in which we can walk through difficulty and walk through questions so that we can shift the way that we see prayer entirely, okay? So remember our natural instinct when, when things don't work out like we thought they should, when we go through seasons of unanswered prayer, our natural instinct is to assign blame, right? If you think about it, blame is the same thing as doubt. Because when we're seeking to make sense of the situation and we go to blame others or blame God or blame ourselves, what we're actually doing is we're doubting what God's word has said. We're doubting what God's word has said about himself, being a loving father who cares for us and, and sees and is able. And, and we're doubting what God is word, God's word has said about mankind as being somebody he cares about and somebody worthy of his love and attention. And this goes, this same strategy goes all the way back to the garden. This is what the serpent brought to Eve is, is, is he said to her, did God really say? So doubt works as an oppositional force to faith. Okay. So let, let me, let me put it this way. I have uh, three sons. I've got a five-year-old Abel. I've got a two-year-old Levi. And then I've got another baby coming in April on the way, baby Ezra. Yes. Um, pray for Kaylee. There's a lot of male energy in our house right now. <clears throat> And uh, our, our toddler, uh, Levi, um, he's two, and he is, man, he's full toddler right now. Like, just being real with you, he is full toddler right now. Um, you, could, you, you would say he's in his toddler era, you know? <laughs> he's in his toddler era, um, and he's our little Sour Patch kid because, man, when he is sweet, oh, He's so sweet. He gives the best hugs. He's always wanting to snuggle. He'll, he'll come up unprompted, I love you, Daddy. Like, it's that kind of stuff. But when he's sour... Man, he is, he is sour. And uh, I often, I often have to, I feel bad for Abel, our five-year-old, because I was much tougher and sterner on him because he's like my clone. So we like butt heads all the time, but, but Levi is Kaylee's clone. And so he looks like her, he's got her mannerisms, he's got her sense of humor, he's got her sweetness. And so more often than not in our home, when, when Kaylee's getting on to Levi for something, I'm getting a side eye because I'm over off to the side trying to stop laughing because I think it's so cute. <clears throat> But one of the, the things that really, that really brings out the sour notes in Levi's life is, is food, all right? The boy loves to eat. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It doesn't matter when his last meal was or how empty or full his plate was. He's always ready for another snack. And, and more importantly, he's always ready for whatever you have in your hand. And, 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 and unfortunately... Um, because he's sneaky with this stuff. Like if you put your drink down and walk out of the room, 10 times out of 10, you're going to come back and he is throwing that thing back. So unfortunately, he's discovered the great, wonderful nectar of Dr. Pepper. <clears throat> yeah, I tried to keep it from him, but now he knows. And, and it's like... It's like nothing's good enough for him anymore. And so he'll, he'll come up to me after dinner because, I mean, let's be real. Have you, you've seen a toddler without caffeine and sugar in their system, right? Just one little sip 
of, of that Dr. Pepper in that little chubby toddler body. And like, we're going to be up till midnight. Okay. So, so when he comes to me and he's like, because we drink Dr. Pepper at our house because we're from Texas and it's, it's God's drink. And, and, and so after dinner, I'll have a Dr. Pepper and he'll come up to me and he'll be like, Hey, give me a drink that. He doesn't say, he doesn't say it like that, but he's like, you know, in, in the way a toddler would, I'd like a drink of that. And so then I'm like, okay, or, are you thirsty? I'm recognizing the fact that he's got a very real need for liquid. Like he, he very well might be thirsty. And so I go, are you thirsty? And he goes, yes, I'm thirsty. And so I go into the kitchen, I get his little cup that's made just for him. It fits his little tiny chunky toddler hands, I put some water in there, a little splash of lemonade. Cause he's not a peasant, you know, like <laughs> he's too He's too, good for, he's too good for clear water. He wants water with a little color in it, you know? So this is splash of lemonade to get past the, the wisdom of the toddler. Little, and he's got to see you do it, you know? So put a little splash of lemonade. When I go to hand him that cup, you would have thought that I, I tried to hand him a cup of mud. I mean, the way he looks at me, I mean, it is a whole ordeal. You would have thought that I was the worst father in the world. But here's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to belittle anyone's situation. I'm trying to give us perspective today. The difference in understanding and wisdom and in knowing what Levi needs in my ability to give and receive love, the difference between me as an adult and Levi as a two-year-old is nothing. It's, it's, it's a blip compared to the difference between God's ability to understand and God's ability to know and God's perspective and God's ability to give and receive love than it is ours. So we have, to, we have to make room in our theology to allow God to define what good and faithful is. We have to make room in our belief system to allow God to define what best is for us. So my question for us today is this, is my God big enough to tell me no? Is my God big enough to tell me no? Because I think we get in trouble sometimes because we try to interpret the nature of God by looking at the hand of God. So we look at our life and we go, you've been good to me, you've been faithful, you've been kind. Okay, so I look through the lens of these circumstances and, and, and these things that you've done, and then I, I, through that color, I allow that to color your nature and say, okay, you're good and you're faithful and you're kind. But then the moment that things don't go like we think that they would or we think that they should, because our basis for his nature is found in his hand, what we then do is we then allow doubt to creep in and go, now I don't know. Now I'm not so sure. And the place that God invites us to come to as a as, a, as somebody who grows in prayer and as somebody who matures as a follower of Jesus is to actually learn the discipline of flipping that around and, and choosing to view the hand of God, choosing to view the actions of God, choosing to view our lives through the lens of his nature. Because then we go, okay, because I know you're good and you're faithful because I know that you're kind and you're merciful and I know that you're all powerful and I know that you're seated on a throne that no man can touch and I know that you are high and lifted up and I know that you are the Alpha and Omega. Because I, can, I, can, I know that, I now peer at my life through the lens of his faithfulness and it colors our life with his mercy and his grace. I think what most of us would classify sometimes his unanswered prayer is really prayers that God has answered. We just didn't like the answers. You know, like, knows an answer. You know, like, knows an answer. Because if God's not able to tell us no, 
If he's only allowed to do what you want him to do, in order for him to be God to you, like in order for you to live for him, trust him, worship him, in order for him to be God to you, if he has to do all the things that you want him to do only the way that you want him to do it, only when you want him to do it, that's something to examine because that's not the God of the Bible. I wonder sometimes if we've made an idol out of religion. Because idols in the Old Testament were little gods that they would go to, the people would go to, to worship in order to get a desired result. It was, it was an equation. It was transactional. Their faith was transactional. And Jesus, the, the very fundamental characteristic of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be someone whose will has been surrendered to him who is greater than us. Galatians 2.20 says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So, so no longer I who live. Like, it's no longer David's desires on the driver's seat. It's no longer David's dreams. It's no longer David's definition of good and faithful. Now, it, it, I, 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 I surrender to the Holy Spirit to allow Christ to come and sit in that place in my heart. And the life which I now live in the flesh, so this life that we now walk through, we now can live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my question is, is that when we walk through seasons of difficulty and we walk, if you're really honest with yourself, have you gone through seasons where God hasn't answered your prayers? Is your response to kind of shake your fist up at, at God like a toddler? Or is it instead to turn and respond to his love, a love so great, and to trust a love so great that it led Jesus to the cross? A love so deep and so transformative that it leads us to a greater place of trusting in his plans and valuing his kingdom over ours. A love so compelling that we want to follow after Jesus with everything that we have, even if it leads us to share in his suffering. I think of 2 Corinthians where Paul tells us that, that, that he dealt with this thing that he only describes as a thorn in his side. It says that he prayed three times for God to remove this thorn. Now, I want to remind you of a couple things. Paul, kind of a big deal to the New Testament church. Like, he's kind of making an impact that's going to change the world. He's writing letters that we're going to read 2,000 years later. Like, there was something that he was going to God and saying, hey, this is limiting my ability to walk in the calling that you've called me to. And it says three times he prayed, and, but, and all three of those times, we don't know what the thorn is. Some people think that it was a sickness. Some people think that it might have been a, a relationship that had broken. Some people might have think it might have been a sin issue. All we know is this, is that God declined Paul's request for relief. And instead, he offers this to him. He says, my grace is my perfect in weakness. So will we allow God to be glorified in the way that we walk through out in the way that we walk through questions and in the way that we trust and we wait in him. Back to Hebrews 4, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says that Jesus was Tempted and tested in every single way that we are. He, he knows exactly what it is that you're walking through. He, he knows what it means to be human, which means this. He knows what it means to walk through seasons of an answered prayer. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, even Jesus, the, 
the, the Son of God, the one perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit, the one perfectly in tuned with the Father, had to wrestle with seasons and moments and situations where he didn't get the answers that he desired. For one, in Jesus' great high priestly prayer in, in, in John, it says that Jesus prayed for the church that would follow the resurrection to be one and united. But yet the history of the church tells a different story of disunity, war, and quarrel. This is a prayer that one day will be answered in heaven, but a, dare, a, a prayer yet realized in the earth. It's a beautiful picture of a dream that was in the heart of Jesus that is yet to be realized. But Jesus' greater, greatest wrestle with prayer, however, was found on a midnight in a garden. And this is where I want to camp out for the remainder of our time today, in the Garden of Gethsemane. We get a glimpse into the prayer life of Jesus when he is at his most vulnerable. So this is, this is right before the betrayal. This is right before the cross. On the eve of his betrayal, knowing what is to come, the torture, the ridicule, the nakedness, the taste of death and grave, it says that Jesus was in so much anguish that he sweat blood. So Jesus was, was suffering from this, from this medical issue. And they're just like, think about that. Like that. That's pretty close to being sick, if you think about it. Like Jesus was suffering from this rare medical issue where because of the extreme stress that he was going through, the blood capillaries around his sweat glands begin to rupture and to burst. And it's here through these beads of bloody sweat that we see Jesus earnestly pray and almost perfectly mirror the Lord's prayer that he gave his disciples. However, with one surprising change of key. So look with me, Mark 14, verse 36. Jesus prays this. He prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And so what I want us to see today is that this prayer that he prays here almost perfectly mirrors the Lord's prayer that he'd given to his disciples. So he starts out with Abba, Father, which is a perfect mirror of our Father who art in heaven. This is, this is he's, he's grounding himself in, in the heavenly reality of God's love. Okay, our Father. And then he says, all things are possible for, for you, which is a mirror of hallowed be your name. This is an expression of worship. It's an expression of faith in God's ability to do what needed to be done. But then here's where he breaks from the script. He says, take this cup from me. So what is this cup? The Bible connects God's wrath with the imagery of a cup. The cup that Jesus is to drink is the cup of God's wrath a cup that has accumulated the fury of God against sins of all types, heinous crimes, adultery, careless words, dishonoring thoughts, lies. This is our sin. Recognize this, that, 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 that the suffering of the cross was not just a physical discomfort for Jesus. It was, this was the pure essence of God coming in contact with the judgment of God. This was a moment of great tension, a moment of great tension. And Jesus innocent and pure, voices a desire in prayer to avoid the upcoming suffering. I want us to really live in this moment of tension for a moment because I think sometimes because we're 2,000 years removed from this and we know the end of the story, we just kind of read through this. But the reality is this, is that our eternity hung in the balance of the gap and the pause after that prayer. Take this cup from me. Because God is just, and he wasn't forcing Jesus to the cross. That it took willingly placing himself in that posture. 
the, the work of the cross was not a labor of obligation, but it was of love and sacrifice. And so in this moment of tension, he resolves back to his original prayer. And he prays, yet not what I will, but what you will, which is a mirror of your kingdom come and your will be done. So Jesus here gives us five things that we can do when we go through seasons of questioning, seasons of doubt, seasons where things aren't working like we thought that they would. The first is this, is choose to be vulnerable with friends. Jesus was not alone in the garden. He invited his three closest friends to be with him. It's amazing to me that the Son of God would allow his weaknesses to be on display for anyone, much less recorded so that we can read and study them. And, and the reason why he chose to be vulnerable, not just with his friends, but with us, is because if it was okay for Jesus to need prayer, then it's okay for me to need prayer. And we gotta get past this place where we like, when we have questions where we kind of retreat back into this shell of like self-sufficiency, because I think sometimes we feel like we fear that, 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 that if we let the cat out of the bag, that like the, the house of cards is gonna fall. And it's like, I don't know what's gonna be left. So I don't want my life to fall apart. So I can't begin to question now. And maybe you've grown up in a tradition that didn't allow questions to take place, but this is not what we see Jesus model. This is not what the church, the church gives us. This is the place where we come and we lay our burdens before each other. So, so we have to get to this place where, where we're okay with not being okay and we're open and we're vulnerable with our questions so we can lean on the strength and the faith of the people around us. We gotta choose to be vulnerable with our friends. Number two, choose to push into prayer. Luke 22, 44. And being in anguish, he prayed even more earnestly. When things got difficult for Jesus, when he began to, to be under so much stress that his body began to break down, he didn't retreat back to the comforts of life, but he stayed in the uncomfortability of a dark garden and he continued to press in even more earnestly. And I think sometimes when we're experiencing pain, we look for moments of escape when God has actually invited us to come before him. Because what we want is we want relief, but what God God wants to do is give us a resolve. And so, so he chooses to push into prayer. Number three, he holds on to God's love and he holds out for God's power. He, he prays, Abba, Father, and all things are possible for you. He remains rooted means rooted in God's love, rooted in his, in, his, in his covenant, rooted in his faithfulness, and then rooted in the fact that God is able, that God is able to do whatever needs to be done so that it could lead him to a place of trust. And then he did this, and this is the most incredible thing to me, is that he was honest. He was honest. Take this cup for me. Like this is why Jesus came, was for this cup. And he was honest with God of like, I don't want to do this. And some of the most meaningful moments that I've had with the Lord over the past few years have been moments when I've allowed myself to push past the pleasantries of prayer and push into this place of honesty with him where you go, Lord, I don't understand. And I, and I don't understand why you haven't done this or why this happened to my friend or why they're going through this or why you haven't done this yet. I don't understand. And I think sometimes we stop at the pleasantries, the easy prayers of like, God, use me, God, be glorified. 
you know, the real prayers, but there's this point of transparency. It's not that God doesn't know where you're at, but our soul needs to hear the admission of our need for God. And our soul needs to hear this admission of, God, I don't understand, but yet I trust. So we can get to this place where, like the hymn says, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We can get to this place where number five, we release it to him. Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done. I love this quote by this old theologian. He says, we cannot hope to follow Jesus to self-denial and sacrifice on the cross if we won't first stay with him to suffer and sweat in the garden. I wanna present that we often have the wrong view of the purpose of prayer. Because listen, prayer changes things. Like it absolutely does. Prayer works. That's why we're doing a whole series on prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer prayer changes things. But I'm becoming convinced more and more that perhaps prayer is less about changing my circumstances than it is about changing me. Like what if, what if what you're walking through right now, what if God is using that moment of tension and difficulty to actually allow you to transform and respond to the pressure to birth something into you? Like what if the answer to our prayer is not for something to change, but for God to change something in us? Because I think, I think we, see, we see our life linearly like a roll of film, you know, like here's all the scenes. And we look to wield prayer like a pin in order to like edit what we fear is gonna come in the future or edit our future to look like we want it to look or process what's happened in the past. And, and listen, that's good. Like, like, but what if prayer is more than just a tool on our belt? What if prayer is actually a place that God invites us into? a place that we can come and find a rest in Him, a place where we can come and bring our dreams and bring our fears and then sit under the weight of having to fully surrender and admit that we cannot control the situation. Because here's the truth is that a lot of us wanna box prayer and box God down to this little thing that we can manipulate and control. Because at the end of the day, we want God to do our thing. But the great work of prayer is that God invites us to do and be a part of His thing. I want you to think about something uh, for a moment. Think about how many people have ever walked on the earth. Think about how many people have ever done anything significant or anything righteous or holy. Uh, it's billions and, 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 and millions. I don't know. It's a ton of people. And, and, and when we get to heaven, there's not going to be. But if there's like a highlight reel of like, the top a million people. Like, I don't think I'm making it, you know? Like, I just think there's been some incredible people that have done some incredible things for God. And that can, that can make you feel insignificant. And we kind of are, if you think about it. The word says that, that, that God views our life like a vapor. And so the great invitation of prayer is to actually lay down our little thing and to take up God's thing. So then when we go to pray and we're praying for revival in our city at midweek prayer, we're praying for the hand of God to move across our city. And we believe that he wants to, we believe that he is, we believe that we're seeing the fruit of those prayers, but we're not just praying for God to move. We're actually praying for God to soften our hearts so that we're ready to respond to the city. When when we pray for a lost one, we're not just praying for them to, to come into situations where they encounter the love of God. We're actually praying for God to position us, to be in conversations with them, to share the love of Jesus. When, when, when we're praying about our work, 
workplace. Maybe where you work is a really dark place. And, and sometimes we're praying, we're like, God, get me out of this. Or God, would you fix this here? Would you make this a better place? Would you fix this problem? Maybe instead of God just changing that situation, what God wants to do is he wants to give you the resolve to, to go and actually be a light into that. So what I'm trying to say is, is that if we will see it this way, Prayer stops being something that we just do to get stuff done. And prayer becomes a point of emphasis in our life where we actually live out of this grace. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes today, I, I, know that, I know that many of you, when, when you pray, the enemy comes and says, yeah, but remember when? And that can be hard. I just want you to know as a pastor, as, as, as a follower of Jesus, I've walked with brothers and sisters. I've walked myself through seasons where, where, where you gotta wrestle with this stuff. And as we go into this next moment, I just wanna encourage you to, to be honest before the Lord and to take up my favorite prayer in the Bible is I believe help my unbelief. Maybe you need to get to that place today. Maybe there's something that you've stopped praying for because you've just kind of, given up hope. I believe God wants to give hope again today. I believe he wants to give faith again today. If you're going through a difficulty or a season of questioning, I just want to encourage you to come down today. And I believe there's going to be miracles. I believe there's going to be breakthrough. But more than anything, I believe that there's going to be an encounter with God's peace and God's assurance this morning. So if you would stand to your feet, I want to invite the prayer team to come down. Lord, we, we love you today and we want to trust you with everything that we are. And although it doesn't make sense all the time, Lord, we, we trust in you and we wanna trust in you. We wanna believe in you. So Lord, I just pray today that, that, that as we go into this time, Lord, I pray that we would be bold, we would boldly come to the throne of grace, that we would see the throne that's before us today, Lord, a, a throne of grace and mercy to help in time of need, Lord. And I just pray right now that there would be an awareness of your love, an awareness of your mercy, an awareness of you in this room today, of your peace, Jesus. Prince of peace, you command it to come, Lord. In Jesus' name, we want you here today, Holy Spirit, come and comfort. Draw those that need to come forward for prayer. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.